Hey, if you got a Bible, Daniel chapter 5 is where we will be. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You should be able to follow along on screen. I think they're going to get that sorted out back there. That'll be all right. Hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, what you need to know is these past, about past month, we've been in this uh, series of talks called God and Culture. And really the premise behind the entire series is that we at New Anthem believe God is an integral and active part of our society and the culture that we find ourselves in. That might come as a shock to some of you, especially if you grew up in church. I know the story that I got was quite the opposite. God does not want to be involved in uh, the uh, culture. And the primary message I received is, no, he wants you as separated and far away from that as possible. Uh, I was told you can't cuss or chew or go with girls who do. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's off limits completely. You need to quit watching rated R movies. And then the Passion of the Christ came out. So then they had to alter that. So then it's like every other rated R movie, you can't watch that. You got to burn your CDs. You need to homeschool your kids. You got to make your own clothes, churn your own butter. Like that's what God would want from you. For the record, uh, homemade butter is legit. So like if you do that, I mean, I'm your guy for that, but uh, I don't think that's what God is wanting you to do. My point is uh, God's not asked us to separate ourselves from culture. Uh, God's actually asked us to be involved. Uh, God says, don't isolate, get involved. He says, without contact, there can be no impact. So you need to be prepared to get your hands dirty, be involved in the world that God has placed you. The one command he's given, which is crystal clear in scripture, is to go into the world, all the world, baptize people, teach them everything Jesus has commanded, show them who God is. And God has repeatedly asked and told the men who transcribed his word that we're blessed in order to be a blessing. He records that over and over in the Bible. He asks Jeremiah to write that we're supposed to help the world prosper. And in turn, when the world prospers, we actually prosper. In other words, the reason we're different in the world's eyes is so that we'll make a difference. You're different to make a difference. The problem is being different and being involved. That's all really, really hard. It's incredibly difficult to navigate this balance of being in the world, yet not of the world. Uh, We're trying to uh, be positioned in culture, but not be poisoned by culture. Because don't misunderstand me, as much as God wants you making a difference where he's placed you, and being an active, uh, integral part of society, there are some rules that he's asked you to keep while you're there. In fact, Jesus said, if you uh, love me, you'll obey my commandments. So I'm not advocating for anarchy. I'm advocating for strategy. I'm advocating for intentional living. The point of us gathering here every single week is I'm trying to help you figure out how to maximize your time on this planet. Because I want you to prosper, but I also want the world around you to prosper as well. The fortunate thing for all of us here is that none of what I'm telling you is any of my ideas. Okay? God has given us an entire life manual here. And if you open it up to the culture section, there's a guy named Daniel who has given us an incredibly convenient resource for how to engage the world that we find ourselves in. This is really like the Chilton Manual of 2018 for purposeful living, especially in a culture that's borderline hostile towards God. Daniel found himself in the same situation that many of us find ourselves in today. So if you've missed any of the prior messages, you can check them out online. But this morning, I want to 
preach a message to you called Cocktail Balls, Wake Up Calls, and Epic Downfalls. One of you is excited about that. All right, that's great. That's worked, worked a long time on that title, but whatever, you know. Wake up call, uh, uh, cocktail balls, wake up calls, epic downfalls. Sounds like the story of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoo, crash and burn, huh, Mav? Yeah, that's, I get it. Uh, here's my entire message in one sentence, okay? If you go to work tomorrow and you're gathered around the water cooler, does anybody even do that anymore? I mean, are there even water coolers in office? We've got a lot of bottled water now. It, it doesn't matter. If you're there and somebody asks you, hey, what did you do this weekend? They're like, oh, I went to church. And they're like, what, what did the pastor talk about? Here's what you need to tell them, okay? People who think they know everything can't learn anything. People who think they know everything can't learn anything. That's not a good conversation starter, though. You know? So like, they're going to be like, your friends are going to say, what are you trying to say? Well, no, I'm not saying that you think, you know, I'm just telling you what the pastor said that he thinks, you know, and they're going to be like, he sounds like a real jerk. And you're going to have to say, well, I guess you kind of had to be there. I mean, it's just the, the point of the message, though, is not to presume that I think that you know everything. Like if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I, I bet he thinks that I think that we think, listen, that's too much thinking. Okay. We're not thinking that much this morning. Uh, what we're trying to do is read Daniel chapter five. And when we read it, we're going to find out that when people think they have it all figured out, uh, the time comes for God to speak something into their life. They're not ready to receive it. Because uh, people think that they, people who think they know everything, they have no room to receive anything. What's that mean for you? It means just for a few moments here, set your objections off to the side. Uh, God brought you here today for a reason. I don't believe it's coincidence that you're here. I don't know what that reason is. I just know that God is going to do what only He can do, which is use His Word to speak into your life. So, so try not to rail against whatever you feel like you're receiving today. Let God uh, draw you in and, and speak love and encouragement into your life. Uh, that's what the point of the Bible is, is to, to gradually reveal Himself more fully to you. And so that's what we're going to try and do today. That being said... We're going to jump into a story kind of over halfway through, so a little bit of context will probably be helpful. First, we need to uh, have Dr. Strange uh, open up the time stone. We're going to travel back 2,600 years when there's a king named Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom is in modern-day Iraq over the course of his life. God has allowed him to conquer essentially the entire known world. In terms of, uh, of leaders, world impact leaders, Nebuchadnezzar is definitely in the top five. When it comes to wealth and power and fame, he is high on the list. And catch it, he didn't even have the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like he couldn't tweet out his objectives for where the world needed to go. So uh, what he did, it took time, it took talent, it took skill, it took power. But as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end. And for him it did. He died. We learned that last week. 
when he dies, though, there's a little bit of turmoil with who should be in next in line for the throne. And over the next six years, three different men all try and grasp power over Babylon. But ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, a guy named Nabonidus, he takes the reins over the kingdom of Babylon. Now, Nabonidus is a fairly controversial leader due in large part because for 14 of the 17 years that he was on the throne, he didn't actually live in Babylon. Why? Because who wants to live in Iraq? You know, like it's hot, sand, all of it. I read about this creature in Iraq called the camel spider. You guys heard about this? It is eight inches long and it runs 10 miles per hour. Like, that's not okay. You, you cannot run that fast, okay? Well, you for sure cannot run that fast in a turban and a robe, okay? <laughs> Your sandals are not holding up due to that speed. But uh, don't worry, their food of choice is a bird. So uh, if you're worried about it, you can just imagine an eight-inch, you know, eight-legged monster grabbing up a bird and, you know, seeking his fans into his jugular. That's the camel spider. Suddenly, on this field trip back in time, we're not blaming Nabonidus for leaving the country. But uh, in his absence, he did what any good parent would do. He says to his son, hey, congratulations, you're in charge of Babylon. So there's that. I'm not staying here with these spiders and whatnot. Same thing you do at home. You know what I mean? Like you tell the kids, go kill the spider. You see the spider, go, apparently I'm the only one. Okay, well, maybe y'all should preach next week, whatever. Fine. <laughs> Nonetheless, Nabonidus' son, Belshazzar, he becomes second in command. Nabonidus rules the whole kingdom. He says to Belshazzar, hey, you're, you're now king of Babylon. Congratulations. I don't want to live here. So it's all you. But Belshazzar takes his responsibilities rather lightly. He, he does what most young people do, and he decides that he's just going to throw some parties uh, in Babylon. So check it out. Verse 5, or chapter 5. Many years later, it's about 25 years after chapter 4, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. He drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Don't know if you've seen that movie Hoosiers, but you can picture in your mind when Shooter comes out onto the court uh, yelling at the referees, you get that bozo or glasses. You know, I'm that's Belshazzar right here. Get me the gold cup. He's drunk. It's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but he wanted to drink from the gold cups with his nobles, his wives, his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What uh, he, you need to understand here is that we actually know the date of this party from world history. This is October 12th, 539 B.C. The Medo-Persian armies are camped outside the city of Babylon. They're looking for a way into this heavily fortified city. So, so why did ne- uh, Belshazzar want these gold cups? Well, it's, this dinner party is actually meant to serve as a distraction. Uh, the party would have been an act of propaganda meant to bolster the citizens and the confidence of the citizens in light of the fact that there's literally thousands of warriors outside of the city waiting to come in and kill them. 
the reason for this act of rebellion and using God's gold goblets for his wine was simply Belshazzar's way of assuring the, his subjects that the gods of Babylon and he, as their earthly representative, was capable of protecting them. Essentially, they're asking the gods of wood and iron and bronze and stone to hold up while this army is getting ready to tear the walls down. The parallel for you this morning is clear, that distractions often lead to disaster. You can jot that down if you're following along in your notes this morning. Distractions often lead to disaster. It's why they say don't drive while distracted. You know, don't take your eyes off the road because you're distracted by that girl running. Now you rear in the car in front of you. You know, you, you uh, rubberneck that other accident, and now you finally have caused an accident. When you text, when you eat, when you smoke, and you drive, you're distracted. Often it leads to disaster. The issue becomes, and what we can learn from King Belshazzar here, is that when things aren't going as we expect, we'll do just about anything to distract ourselves. You know, we'll do just about anything to avoid looking in the mirror at what's going on in our lives. Here we have a king being surrounded by enemies. Instead of preparing for battle, he prepares for a binger. I hope you realize that avoiding the inevitable does not make the inevitable avoidable. Things are going to happen. And there's a battle going on in your life. Now, we obviously don't have the Medo-Persian army surrounding us, but the Bible does make it clear that we have an enemy. Uh, it actually says we have three enemies, but Ephesians 6.12 6, says, Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the power of the world's darkness. Well, who's, who's that? Who's the world's darkness? Well, we know from the first rule of Bible study is Scripture interprets Scripture, and we find from other Scripture that the, the principalities, this darkness that the Bible is talking about here, the authorities of darkness, they're made up of the devil. Our own evil desires and culture, the world. Those are our three enemies that the Bible repeatedly talks about. You need to be aware of this because God has called you to be in the battle, not at the banquet. Like he he wants you in the fight, not necessarily celebrating at the feast. So you need to understand and be aware that your enemy's primary goal, their chief aim, is to distract you. All your enemies want you to do is to get you to live for life experiences so that you're not fulfilling your purpose. Your enemy's whole goal is to convince you that you're missing out on something. So you'll chase after those dreams instead of chasing after them. I think a lot of people have misunderstood Jesus' words in the New Testament when he says, and he's standing on this rock, and he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And it sounds like what he's saying is, hey, when you believe in God, nothing's going to overpower you. Satan can't do anything to attack you. And that's true. Uh, uh, You know, he can't, but that's not what Jesus is primarily talking about there. You understand gates are not an offensive weapon. Uh, I'm not a military man, but uh, watched a lot of movies and read a lot of books and have yet to find the general preparing for battle who says, quick, go get the gates. This is what we need to advance on to the army. No, gates are a defensive weapon. They're meant to keep the enemy out and uh, keep the enemy at bay, which means... Understand, 
your enemy is on his heels. He's trying to keep you out of where he's at. The gates of hell cannot withstand our offensive attack. The question for you this morning is, are you ready to invade hell? And my job as your pastor is to help you not be distracted within the battle. Because the devil knows his gates can't withhold us. He knows they're all rusty and they're like missing slats. And, you know, we can knock him down whenever we want. You just got to like turn sideways and he kind of sneak in there. Uh, It's why he's trying to distract you. It's why he wants you spending hours of your day on social media or binging on Netflix or the TV and the video games. He, want, he wants you to re, uh, try and figure out that, or he doesn't want you to figure out that there's like a real battle happening out there. And so every time you're in the, you know, the adventure on you know, saving the princess, they're like, there's a real adventure in the world that you could come be a part of. It doesn't have to be a digital one. Uh, your enemies want to distract you with temporary treasure so you won't understand that there's a whole eternal treasure waiting for you as you navigate the world and do what God's asked you to do. So what you need to hear me say is there's no experience on this earth that will ever compare to the experience waiting for you in heaven. There's no experience on this earth that will ever be exceeded compared to what is waiting for you in heaven. That beach that you want, I mean, that's a sandcastle compared to what's coming. You see, like the mountains that you want to go see, uh, those are anthills compared to what's waiting for you in glory. Am I saying don't do those things? No, absolutely. I, I would love for you to do those things. I'm just saying don't be so distracted by them that you miss out on the battle in front of you. You have to get back into the fight. Iceman needs you, Maverick. You see, like, fly in there and start attack. I don't know why I have so many Top Gun references today. I apologize. I did not watch it for the record, but there is a second one coming out. So awesome. Uh, But the the Bible says uh, you have been entrusted the ministry of reconciliation. Like God wants you involved in his story. He's given you a purpose to fulfill and, and he wants you not being distracted by the things that the world has to offer you. You're in a battle. You're supposed to be helping people meet Jesus. So if you're too busy for the battle, might I suggest that you're too busy. Uh, people's lives are, are depending on you to fulfill what God has asked you to do. It's why he gives us and King Belshazzar a wake-up call. It's verse 5. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand riding on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. This brother just passes out. That's what that literally translates to. As you would do a thing from the Adams family showed up sometime when you were kicking it at your house. Uh, but the verse 7, the king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him when he came to from passing out. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. Sounds like Mr. T. How did you end up in the Bible? I don't know. I pity the fool who can't read dreams. That's ridiculous. Purple robes, gold chain. I don't know. He will become third highest ruler in the kingdom. Why third? Well, because Nabonidus was first. 
Belshazzar was second. He's not giving up his spot. He certainly can't give up Nabonidus' spot. And so third is bronze and great, apparently. Verse 8, But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed. His face turned even more pale. His nobles too were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. Thank God for moms. <laughs> you know, like they'll solve anything. Uh, this is uh, Nabonidus' wife, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, Belshazzar's mom. She said to Belshazzar, uh, pull yourself together, son. <laughs> Stop embarrassing yourself. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like the gods. Your predecessor, my dad, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Wake up, Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king because you can be tucked into bed and yet still part of God's plan. Uh, And the king asked him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you, that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot. I'm told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become third highest ruler in the kingdom. Write it down this way. Just because you're uninvited doesn't mean you're unimportant. Just because you weren't invited to the party doesn't mean you're unimportant to the purpose of the party. What I hope you can comprehend, young people especially, is one of the blessings of your life is that they didn't invite you to the party. The reason you weren't invited to the party is because you're different than everybody who, who was. Uh, that's okay. Again, you've got something better waiting. You do realize that when Jesus comes back, the first thing he's doing is throwing a party. The Bible makes that clear in Revelation. That's awesome. Like uh, right now, he's preparing the table, it says. You know, he's got the Amish brothers up there right now, just building tables out, putting more. Every time somebody gets saved, angels rejoice. The Amish build more leaves. You know, like that's how it happens in heaven. I don't know if that's true. It probably is not. So don't quote me on that. But even my point, don't worry about not being invited to the party. You know, don't worry the next time you get on Instagram and all your friends are at the party and for whatever reason you weren't invited to go. That party is JV compared to what's waiting for you. Uh, the party that, that God has in, in mind for you someday. Well, maybe some better advice would be maybe you should learn how to throw a party and like invite people to it. That would be cool. Lord, help us some of the parties we as Christians throw, you know? I mean, no wonder people think we're weird because uh, you, you take into fact some of the parties God has thrown and the parties that God puts in Scripture for us to read about and the party that's coming, you know, maybe we should do a little bit better. You know, no wonder people don't want to come to our party. Like, we need to do a better job at communicating. One of the things I'm committed to just as a, a family man is throwing a Herculean party at least once a year. Like good food, good drink, good friends, like crab legs, you know, like steak. 
if you're invited to the party and you brought anything in a box, like you're kicked out immediately. Like don't ever come back to my, don't bring that filth into my house. Like no kids complaining. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Somebody, you know, like, like we're just going to, we're going to laugh. We're going to enjoy each other. We're going to enjoy the experiences that God has. Like when I say, don't be distracted, don't be distracted, but enjoy it. God has given us some good gifts. Amen. Somebody that that we should experience in life and and we should celebrate the goodness of god and the fact that he's given us these things to enjoy but here's the thing specifically about parties you're not invited to often it's the same people who need your help that will put you through hell and, and these are the people that god has put into your life so that you could be a benefit to them most people don't care what you believe until their bottom drops out and then it's when their other friends can't answer their questions that they'll start coming to you, especially in your times of pain. When they see how you respond to God's uh, uh, maybe blessing in pain and that you've navigated the waters of hurt and, and they've seen how you responded to that and were still faithful to God, they make note of that. And then they say when, when their bottom drops out, man, how'd they do it? I want what they have because I, I can't do this on my own. Just because you're uninvited does not mean you're unimportant. I think too often when faced with something difficult, we want to ask, how can I get out of this? When we should be asking, what can I get out of this? How can I be blessed through this to be a blessing to somebody else? God doesn't waste opportunities. You know, he's putting things into your life for your benefit, your joy, his glory. You do realize that every miracle begins with a problem, right? That's kind of the definition of miracle. If you don't have a problem, then you wouldn't need a miracle. Um, so sometimes maybe you're asking you to the problem. God's like, no, I'm going to do a miracle in and through this. You might be the miracle God wants to use to solve somebody else's problem. Uh, so don't waste your opportunity. So I'm too old for that pastor. Can't, I can't be anybody's... David, uh, Daniel's not a young man here. Okay, Daniel is in his late 70s. Like he's old. Really, really old. Pastor, I'm in my late 70s. You're old too, okay? I'm just saying. Uh, no, I'm kidding. You're not, you're not old. Uh, 70s and new 40, okay? Uh, but the, the reason I bring it up is because the same way that you're... Uh, just because you're uninvited doesn't mean you're unimportant. Well, just because you're old doesn't mean you're retired. You know, if you're alive, God has a reason for you being here. And he wants you to still accomplish his purpose. I love the fact that we have a cross-generational, multi-generational church. Nothing more delights me than seeing people, uh, let's call it with mileage on them, uh, and, and then people who aren't old, you know, like, like I love the fact that we have birth till you know, whatever you are. Uh, uh, but there's, there, there's something valuable, you know, that we can all learn from one another. Uh, the, it, but I also know that there's some things that can only be learned with age. Uh, that's really what I'm getting at. Job, Job 12, 12 says, wisdom belongs to the aged, understanding to the old. Like there are some things that only you can accomplish because you have the wisdom. You've navigated those seasons of life. There are things that I have not done that you have done, and I can only learn from you. You tracking with that? 
praise God for everything that you've been through and you can help the younger, pe- younger people navigate life. Uh, so don't just sit here on Sunday. Do something that God has called you to do, even if it's pray. You know, that's, don't take, you know, sell yourself short. Say, well, the only thing I can do, Pastor, is pray. Well, praise God for that. That's not part of the battle. That is the battle. We're, we're trying to fight our battle through prayer. So, so please don't just to take advantage of the service, depending where you're at in life stage. No, get, get involved. Do what God's asked you to do. Uh, uh, mentor young people. Get involved in the work of the church. So we've had a cocktail ball. We had kind of a weird wake-up call with, you know, the hand and everything. And now we're going to have an epic downfall. It's verse 17. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else. I'm too old for all that bling, he says. But I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave you sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over kingdoms of the world. He appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. Uh, this is actually where we get the colloquial Wheelism, is that how you say that? The handwriting on the wall. It's, it's literally from pages in your Bible. That's kind of cool. It means imminent doom. Verse 25, this is the message that was written, many, many tekel and parson. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign, has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar didn't get the message. Uh, Because when you think you know everything, you have no room to receive anything. That very night, he was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Again, we know from world history the exact night of this event. It happened October 12, 539 B.C., when Darius, the general for the king of Persia, a guy named Cyrus, marched through a stream and into the city with very little resistance. He captured the great kingdom of Babylon. Here's what I think that means for you in 2018. When confronted with your cap. cap capacity, that's easy for you to say, when confronted with your capacity, listen, when you're confronted with what you think you know, you need to listen. Because when you think you know everything, 
You can't learn anything. At some point in your life, you will be confronted with the same four words written on this wall. Many, many, your days also are numbered. The Bible makes it very clear. Some of you came this morning to be reminded that your days are numbered. King David said, teach me to number my days. Because we all tend to forget that our days are numbered. None of us are guaranteed even to walk out of this room today. And why is that a big deal? Because anything you think you have a lot of, you'll squander. Anything that you understand you have a limited amount of, you'll steward it wisely. So you need to understand that your, your days are limited. You need to maximize them. Ecclesiastes 4.6 tells us it's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. I know a lot of people in life right now trying to catch the wind. They think they know everything so they can't learn anything when confronted with their capacity. They don't listen because they think they have plenty of time. Now I'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll take the kids, you know, next week. We'll go on vacation next week. I'll start serving when I have a little bit more time. And I'll start giving when some of the bills. I just need to be busy right now. This is just a season, Pastor. Well, that might be true. But if your season has been going on for a long time, you know, maybe you're trying to catch the wind. God continues, Tekel, you've been weighed. Uh, Your good works do not measure up. People have been confronted with that. Yet how many people in the world right now say, well, I'm mainly a good person. Uh, Listen to me, there's, there's no good works, enough good works in this world to tip that scale into your favor compared to what God has accomplished on your behalf. You know, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you can continue doing all the good works you want and that scale ain't ever going to the right. But listen to me, the good news of the gospel is you don't have to. We're working with a weighted scale. Perfect Jesus is standing on your scale with you. It's the only time you want to see the arrow on that scale go ding. You know, uh, I was just, just Jesus is standing on that scale with you. Other morning I was in the bathroom standing on the scale. Laura walked in and she said, why are you sucking in your stomach? <laughs> You're the same weight. You know, it doesn't help anything. Like, it helps me see the numbers. You know, like, I just can't, didn't want to stand like that. But, um, but you've been weighed. And your good works are coming up short. Despite what you've heard, the message of Christianity is that Jesus lived the perfect life so you wouldn't have to. And Jesus paid the penalty of sin that was due you. So you wouldn't have to. We're not working on the same scales as the rest of the world. When God looks at you, the moment you trust Jesus as the Savior of your life, He sees Him. He doesn't see all the things that you did. He sees what Jesus did for you. And that's amazing news. He went through hell so you didn't have to. He pursued you when you wouldn't have pursued Him. Why do you say that, Pastor? Why do you think that I would not pursue God, because the the third word on the wall, uh, parson, you're divided. You're not loving God with your whole heart. 
It says everybody in the world has sinned. You fall short of the glory of God. None of us chooses the path towards God. God comes after you. You have all these things vying for your time, vying for your energy, vying for your money. You're being pulled a hundred different directions. And like Ecclesiastes says, you're busy with both hands trying to catch that wind. That's why God had to make a point in Scripture to say, be still and know that I'm God. Now, understand very carefully, be still doesn't mean stop. The, the journey that you're on is just that. It's a faith journey that takes steps to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, which literally means a follower. You have to step where he stepped. You have to follow where he's going. He's leading you to a destination, and you have to be moving with that. What he's saying by be still is cancel out all the noise. Don't be distracted because distractions lead to disaster. So let me ask you a question as we kind of land the plane here this morning. Could there be some proverbial handwriting on your wall of life? That is to say, could God be trying to get your attention with something? Maybe it's been happening for a while. Maybe it's been a close call or an accident, but you're still here. Maybe it's a family crisis, or a work crisis, or a health crisis, or a financial crisis. You know, some people really need a shaking in order for God to get their attention. So, so what is the proverbial handwriting? What I'm asking is, could today be the day where the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your soul, saying, Listen, that's for you. Your days are also numbered. Your good works have fallen up short. You've been weighed. You don't weigh enough. And you're divided. Could today be the day where God's just trying to reorient the path of your life? Saying, hey, uh, the, the path you're on right now, there's no room for me. You think you know everything, and, and, and now you, don't, you can't learn anything. And I'm trying to teach you something here. You need to understand that. You need to change and alter the direction of your, your life. Here's what I know. I was very convicted in my study this week. I know God was doing some things in my life where I just had to say, you know what, God, you're absolutely right. Uh, I've been divided. I'm, I've, I've gone the wrong direction. You know, maybe that can be you this morning. God's trying to get your attention with something. So I just want us to take a second here with every head bowed, every eye closed, just to be still. Nobody trying to catch the wind with both hands. Meditating in your heart on those four words, many, many, tekel and parson. Where am I divided? God's numbered my days. Trying to do the good works that He's called me to do. God, help us understand what You're trying to communicate to us. We know our days are numbered. We're not infinite beings. God, we know that we've been called to do some things for you.
and we're trying to accomplish those, or we're trying not to be divided in our lives, God, help reveal to us where we're falling short, where our scales are out of balance. We don't pretend or presume to know everything, God, so teach us how we can follow you more faithfully. I don't want to take anything for granted, so as we continue to pray this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now because your days are numbered. But you can 100% spend the rest of your life in heaven in a beautiful paradise. That's what's waiting for you. That's what is at stake at this moment. The Bible just says all you have to do is trust in Jesus. Can't do anything to earn it. Like I said, He's already done it for you. He paid your price. Scandalous grace. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. That's what Scripture teaches. So just follow me in this prayer. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. Sorry I've lived my own way. I believe your way is better. I know Jesus died for me. I know He rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank You for seeking me. Thank You for bringing me here today. Thank You for saving me. Help me as I leave this place. God, I thank You for everybody that's here this morning. Thank You for all the lives that You've brought to this place Speak to them, teach them, lead them, direct them. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.